0: Welcome to another episode of Focus Points where we ask one simple question. What do we need to know in order to profit more from reading this book of the Bible? Let's look at another book of the Bible together so that we can better know our God and his word. Today we're gonna be looking at the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has to be one of the richest Old Testament books as far as the truths that it t- it says The the amount of time that you could just spend reading and reading and studying, it is an absolutely amazing book. And one of the things that's amazing about it is how often the New Testament actually refers back to the book of Isaiah in quotations or allusions, talking about prophecy. It really is uh, an amazing book. Now, this particular uh, focus point on Isaiah is going to be a little bit briefer than perhaps a book of Isaiah's size should, uh, should demand. However, there are going to be two side notes that we do a little bit later on that are going to talk about what it means that God is the Holy One of Israel and who this servant of the Lord is that appears later on. So we're going to be talking a lot about Isaiah over the next three podcasts. Just this focus point is just going to get us started with what we need to know in order to read the book a little bit better for ourselves. So what are some of the things that are going to help us read this Uh, this book of the Bible. Well, let's just talk a little bit about the context, all right? Remember, uh, Amos and Hosea and Isaiah lived about the same time. However, Isaiah would be kind of the last one of them, all right? Because Amos and Hosea both talked about Israel, whereas Isaiah is very much focused on Judah. And one of those reasons is that within Isaiah's ministry, Israel is taken away to, into captivity by the Assyrians. So Isaiah, he lives in a time of a lot of turmoil and threats, all right? Israel has been carried away by Assyria, and Assyria has often threatening Judah with a similar fate, all right? You think of that middle section of Isaiah where it's Hezekiah versus Sennacherib and all the threats that Sennacherib and Sennacherib's sh- Spokesmen um, give against the city of Jerusalem, and they're caged up. But God delivers. All right. So there's all this turmoil and questioning that is going on, and in this context, Israel, um, in this context, Isaiah, he delivers some very powerful messages about Judah's sin while at the same time sharing some amazing truths about God's future plan for all of history, not just for the kingdom of Judah. So that's kind of the context. Now, Isaiah, we don't know too much about him, um, apart from what is said in the book. His name does mean Yahweh saves, which makes him a pretty good person to be writing some of the things that he does. And Jewish tradition, I find this interesting, Jewish tradition tells us that Isaiah was actually martyred by Manasseh. Manasseh who was Hezekiah's son. So we don't have a history of Isaiah living beyond into Manasseh's reign. And one of the things that the Jew says is that's because he actually was killed for some of the things that he was saying. We don't know that for sure, but it is kind of interesting. Now the style that it was written in, over 80% of the book of Isaiah is in poetry, all right? It's prophecy, but it is poetry at the same time. And what I'd encourage you to do, because we're going to be reading through a lot in Isaiah, is go back to those Sunday School notes that we gave out uh, back in November and December about interpreting poetry and about interpreting prophecy. And just review some of those principles, and I think that'll greatly benefit you as you go on into the book of Isaiah. Now, if you have lost those, if you're like me because you don't always get things where they ought to be, um, I have those and I can email them to you or I can give you a hard copy at church. You just have to let me know. Now, what's the message of Isaiah? Well, (laughs) that kind of makes me laugh because how do you describe a book that has so much? Well, here's one shot. The message of Isaiah. The Holy One of Israel judges sin and saves all who trust in his Messiah. The Holy One of Israel judges sin and saves all who trust in his Messiah as I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk a little bit more about what Holy One of Israel means and implies. And we're also going to talk a little bit more in a separate side note about the Messiah, specifically Jesus as the servant of the Lord. But that's what the message of the book, I think, really boils down to. And Isaiah is really divided into two parts. The first part, chapter 1 through 39, uh, it ends with the narratives about hezekiah and sennacherib and there's a lot of judgment there are some really bright spots within there but it generally has a more negative tone. And then Isaiah 40 through 66 has a very positive tone in general and are some of the most precious parts of Scripture. Isaiah 40, Isaiah 53, um, it's just some special passages as we read through. Now, some will say it's because two different people wrote it, but there's a good Hebrew word for that, and that is baloney. It is one person. It's just one person viewing things from two different perspectives. All right, let's allow Isaiah to do that. So what are some of the themes that we're going to see as we read through the book? Well, the first theme is God's nature. Who is God? Well, he is, first of all, the Holy One of Israel. We'll talk about that in a side note in a little bit, but he is holy, all right? This is a God. We serve a God who is morally pure and has just this glorious majesty about him, all right? There's no one who is like God. Isaiah chapter one, verse four, Talks about how Israel has forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. All right. Our God is holy. We have to understand that as we read through Isaiah. Our God is also unique. There is only one of Him. No one can even come close. Okay. He is the true God. I think of Isaiah chapter 41, verse 40. Who has wrought and done it? Calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first, and with the last. I am he. Okay, you read those last chapters, you know, 26 chapters of Isaiah, and you really wonder, who is like my God? No one is. My God stands unique. He's so different from everything that man's imagination has created into a false God. God, by his nature, is also sovereign. Right? We have this Lord God or Lord Yahweh 30 times that appears throughout the book. You have him being In control of all creation, chapter 40, verse 28. He's described as a potter who's making this clay, chapter 29, verse 16. The potter has complete control over his creation, over the world. And I think it's funny when you think about this idea of God being sovereign. You have Sennacherib's spokesperson, Rabshakeh, who had this misplaced notion that Israel had power over God. You know, he's talking about how God was so little, and sorry, Isra- Assyria had power over God. And yet, who was Assyria but God's tool to use against Israel? And then um, the person, the nation that God would just defeat utterly. When they came against Judah, really all the power that they had was just because God was ultimately controlling them. And when he was done, he turned around and judged them too. I think it's also important for us to realize as far as God's sovereignty goes, God is the only person who can make a plan, announce his plans, and fulfill his plans. I think of playing basketball when I was young, you know, and you'd be playing horse and trying to shoot baskets, you know, back and forth. And occasionally, you would um, you would shoot a shot and it'd go off the backboard. It was a really, really deep shot. And really, what happened is you made it because you missed your shot so, ba- so bad. Um, And your friend would be – and then you'd be like, "Okay, now you have to hit it off the backboard, and your friend would be saying to you, no, you didn't call that type of shot, so I just have to make the shot from there. I don't have to hit it off the backboard first. God's a God who tells us what he's going to do, does what he's going to do, and it really is amazing to see God's control throughout the book of Isaiah. So you have who God is. He's holy. He's unique. He's sovereign. You also have a second theme, which is having to do with the sins. There are two sins in Isaiah that really come out. The first one is pride. All right. Just notice as you read how often arrogance and pride are mentioned. It comes up a whole lot. And then the second sin is unbelief. And pride and unbelief are really tied together, okay? Because if you believe everything about God, you will not be proud. But because you are proud, you are then in unbelief. And there is this rejection of God as being either good or great or being able or willing to do what he says he's going to do. That's all set aside. I think of Ahaz, King Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7 where it says in verse 9 – that if you will not believe, surely you will not be established. Pride and unbelief are the catalysts of judgment, destruction, and instability. But for those who turn to God in faith and trust his word, those are the ones who, like the end of Isaiah chapter 40, talks about the young youths. they will fail, but those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strengths. Pride and unbelief Both lead to judgment and are the gateway sins to so many other of the sins and horrible things that the book of Isaiah condemns the people for doing. And then we have the final theme of the book of Isaiah, which is God's plan. God's plan to judge, God's plan to save. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about those two things as we get into the side notes on Holy One of Israel and also on the Servant of the Lord. But just notice as you read through the book, God has a plan. Yes, in Isaiah's mind, everything is falling apart. Yes, all this problems are coming along. But when it comes down to it, God has a plan, and he's announcing what his plan is, and he's going to fulfill his plan. And we've already seen a whole lot of that plan fulfilled, but even we... In our 21st century uh, life, still wait for many of those promises to be fulfilled. But as we look at how many already have, we can come to God in great hope with this steadfast expectation that he's going to do everything he's said. So the message of the book, the Holy One of Israel judges sin and saves all who trust in his Messiah. Let me encourage you, as you read through this book this year, ask yourself, how must I respond today to this holy, unique, and sovereign God who offers salvation through his Messiah? In other words, how do I act in faith to this truth? Judah so often trusted in other nations or in their own plans rather than putting their faith in God. However, would you be willing to read Isaiah and say things like, I will not be afraid of the mighty rulers that control this world now because my God is really in control. I will not trust in anything or anyone but the God who made everything. I will not seek satisfaction in anyone but my Savior who died for me. I will not try to grit my teeth and accomplish things by my own fainting power. I will look to the all-powerful God. Or finally, I will glorify my God by sweetly submitting and trusting in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ask yourself, what does this mean for me today? And I think God is going to open our eyes as he teaches us about himself and he helps us through his spirit to apply that knowledge to our daily life and actions.